Welcome to the Church at the Springs podcast. The Springs exist to lead our generation to God and connect people to a community of Christ followers who change their world. To learn more about us, visit thesprings.net. We hope you enjoy the message. Springs. Late 2019, I decided to start coming. One Sunday morning, my friend invited me over to the 12 o'clock service, and um, I met someone over at the deck, and they invited me to the Connect class, and I never stopped coming back since. My name is Austin, and this is my wife, Amber. We've been married two and a half years. We've got two daughters, Adrian and Andy. Uh, Adrian is a year and a half, and Andy's six months, and this is our story. I'm from Miami, Florida, but I grew up in West Kendall. I grew up in Silver Springs, Florida. My first year at the Springs definitely took a turn for the best. I was definitely in a season of isolation and instantly God just introduced me to people, places, things that just made me feel like I wasn't alone. I started from knowing nobody at the church to being plugged in with Encounter on Wednesday nights, leading a group there. Um, I was a part of small groups. I ended up um, joining an internship. I also was a part of the First Impressions team, and then I joined staff in the kids' ministry. I have all these friends now on staff who have become family. I joined um, a small group first night that I showed up and sat at a table by myself. First person to walk over and say hi was Amber. Like her smile just like lit up the room. I knew at that moment like I was right where God needed me to be. I've tried my way. I want to go yours and see uh, what a life with you in it has for me. And here we are. <laughs> Got married right here at the church in the front where the cross is. Every season that we have experienced together, the church was right by our side throughout it all. The church isn't a building. It's all of us who we surround ourselves with. Not only is community for me, but it's for our family. When my daughters walk into church, they're running straight past me and going straight to their friends. I want them to know that we had a heart for Jesus and we still have a heart for Jesus. I want them to know what it's like to serve our community, to be generous and to consider the church a home, to pray with their community in seasons of difficulties and seasons of hardships. I want them to know that serving is not just on a Sunday, but it's every day. I'm the biggest introvert that anyone will ever meet, and I tried joining a group, and I've, I promise you're not going to regret that decision. I think we're even more excited for all that's to come, and all that God is going to continue to do through the church and our community that we have here. That was so good! It's so good! <laughs> so great! Yeah. You're amazing! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that story. That's good, man. And uh, I, I remember when Amber first walked into the Springs, and now to see she and Austin, their two little girls, and and she's on our Springs Kids team. Uh, that, but you know, the, the I don't know if you you saw it, but uh, behind them there were pictures on their wall, and and. After a while, those pictures turned into moving videos. And, and really, because that's what a picture is. A, a, a picture is just a snapshot in time. And behind every picture is a story. And we all have those, don't we? We have them on our walls, we have them on our desks. That we have pictures that are moments frozen in time with stories behind them. And it's, uh, you know, and, 
It's like we have weddings and graduations and vacations and family and you know, they're, they're on our walls. Those are really, those are the dreams of our lives. It's what we treasure. And you know, and there's some pictures that they're, they're not, they're not gonna be framed and put on a wall. You have them, right? Maybe you, uh, you, you put them like in a tub under the bed. Like, right, they're there with hundreds of other pictures or, or you still, or they never got off of your phone. Like for me, I, I checked before I came out. I have 52,000 pictures on my phone. I know a good therapist could help me, I'm sure, but I, it, it, I've tried to clean it. It's just that it's too much work, so I just leave it. But, but you know, that, that the, the pictures, there are pictures though that have a totally different value that we can't even begin to dream and imagine. It was kind of like, um, it was 2018. There was, a, there was a piece of art that was sold at an auction in London and it sold for over a million dollars. And it was by the artist Banksy and it was called A Girl in a Balloon. And as soon as the auctioneer hit the gavel and said sold, people applauded but they weren't ready for what came next. There was a beeping sound that came from the frame that the art was in. And they all watched as that art was shredded right before their eyes. And, and I, let me take you to that moment at the auction. Watch this. It's the Frank scene. Go with balloon, ladies and gentlemen. Standing in the back of the room. I'm gonna start getting in 's off it's like nothing to see here there but could you imagine being the person that paid a million dollars and it just got shredded what had happened was the artist banksy he installed in the frame a shredding device and he said if this picture is ever sold at an auction I will shred it and he did and but you know we've all had banksy moments in our lives right those are the moments you don't put on a wall and you don't frame and put on display, you hide them. You put them in the back room of your life. You don't want anybody to ever know about them and you want to try to forget them. Those moments. But you know, the first Easter, it was a Banksy moment. What do you do with shredded hopes and dreams? For the disciples, the crucifixion was a shredded dream. I mean, that, it, it was that, that moment that all of their dreams died with Jesus. But Jesus did the impossible and the unthinkable and he rose from the dead. And he, what was a shredded dream became the foundation of our faith. The resurrection is the foundation of our faith. It's why we celebrate today. It's why, it's why we're here. That's why people are in the balcony and in the family room across the way and out in the lobby right now. 
because we've come to celebrate he's alive. And that, you know, for, for you and I, you gotta understand, the resurrection isn't just a happy ending to the Easter story. It's, it's the beginning of a new chapter in all of our lives. It's like, because without the resurrection, the cross was just a meaningless tragedy. That's what Paul wrote. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians and he said, and if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And there's no reason to gather because it's all a hoax. But he was risen. He is alive. And you know, when I think through uh, our teaching team, we wrestled down and we, we talked about as we prepared for this weekend, there's really one question that's kind of a pressing question that many people ask in churches and maybe many of you. I mean, when you sit and think about it, you wouldn't verbalize it, but you think it. Does Jesus really matter today? I mean, I get that he matters for eternity. I get that he died on the cross 2000 years ago and I get to go to heaven one day with him, but does he matter today? See, we're good to trust him with eternity, but what about today? Does the resurrection matter today? And I think most of us though, we live like he really doesn't matter. But yet Paul said, it changes everything. He said that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive within you if you're a Christ follower. I believe that is the greatest untapped power in the history of the world. And you know, how, how do we respond? How do we, when our dreams get shredded, when hope walks out the door, how do we respond? You know, the way we respond is very similar to the way the disciples responded when when their dream was crushed. That, you know, those, those emotions that they felt, we feel. And I wanna, I wanna frame up three pictures today of three different emotions and three different responses that the disciples had that we have. And the, the first one is this. If you jot down the, the notes, will be in the Bible app on, on your phones or it'll be up here on the screen as well. But the, you know, that, that first one is that fear we all feel fear and fear holds you hostage. See, when, when we've lost control, we fear moves in. And, and if you're wondering like, what does fear look like? Well, I, I, I thought about, you know, what does a pastor do to prepare for Easter? And I mean, for, I mean, yeah, we pray and we study and we plan and, uh, but, <laughs> But for Teddy and I, we went to Orlando last weekend just to have fun. I mean, we just got away and walked away. And, and I, I told her, I said, hey, baby, let's go, to, uh, let's go to International Drive. We'll grab dinner and let's go on that 400-foot Ferris wheel. I've heard people talk about it, right? I've seen it. Like, and, and let's go on that. And she went, okay. I said, you don't want to go on that? She goes, it goes one mile an hour. <laughs> and all you do is go around in a circle. And I'm like, come on. And she, she went and we got to the top of that Ferris wheel. It was over the night sky looking over Orlando and the, the, the entire city. She said, 
but we're going there next. And she pointed to the slingshot. <laughs> You've seen that. And for those of you who don't want the slingshot, the slingshot is they, they buckle you in to this capsule and they shoot you 390 feet into the air rapidly. Uh, and I've got a picture of us on that. That's us. And by the way, that's the moon. We were very close. <laughs> it was, and it happened so quickly. And you may say, well, were, were you afraid? Well, one of us was, one of us wasn't. And they snapped a picture at the top to show you which one. Now, you got to know, if you're going to hang out with my wife, you're going to do crazy things, right? She is a thrill seeker. And, but, but, you know, here's the thing. I, I, didn't, I didn't do that. Yeah, y'all, you can turn that off now. Um, I, didn't, I didn't do bad because, listen, if you want to see really what fear looks like, I promise you, Google people that pass out on the slingshot. The, listen, there's so many videos out there of people screaming and then just collapsing in their arm. And then they wake up and they realize they're still there and they pass out again. It's, it's great. But, but, you know, fear, fear is the thing, though, that, that changes you. It locks you in. It holds you back. It holds you hostage. Think about the resurrection day. The disciples had already, um, they'd gone to the empty tomb. They saw that Jesus wasn't there. Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene and she came back and told the disciples, I've seen the Lord. And the disciples weren't buying her excitement. Matter of fact, they, they were locked into a house and it said in verse 19 in John 20, it said that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of Jewish leaders. They weren't buying and he was alive. They were locking in. There was incredible fear in that room because, you know, it, it, it seemed like for them, this is the best thing for us to do. This is the wisest thing for us to do. You got to know something. On the day that Jesus was crucified, everybody unfollowed Jesus. There were no Christ followers after the crucifixion. Their game was over. There's nothing to hold on to. There's no movement to try to keep alive. They were just trying to stay alive. Their whole world collapsed right before their eyes. How do you go from being on top of the world to being crushed by the world? I mean, we feel that, right? Because when fear comes into our lives, darkness rolls in. And that that you know, we, we feel that these are the I didn't see it coming moments in all of our lives. These are the moments when you think your marriage is going well and then your spouse tells you, I really just don't love you anymore. Or you get a call from the doctor and you get a report that you weren't expecting. Or you watch your children on a path of self-destruction and you can't do anything to stop them. Fear, the fear and uncertainty of the world. I mean, not just economically, but politically and globally. What do you do? I mean, the darkness rolls in. But you got to know something. God does his best work 
in the darkest times. In the darkest times of our lives, God shows up. God works the night shift when we feel like we can't see and we don't know what to do. And into their fear, in the darkness of that room, Jesus showed up. <laughs> we got to take it to that moment. I love this because it says, suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. Now, this, I, I'm always, I, I love teaching this passage because I'm always putting myself kind of in the, the passage and thinking, what's going on? The, they're scared beyond belief. Their hearts are pounding out of their chest. The, they've got low light on. Everybody's whispering because they don't want anybody, they're not going out during the day. They're scared for their lives and they are huddled in tight. And then it says, Jesus shows up. He didn't knock on the door. He didn't come through the window. He just beamed in. Into that moment where fear was so thick, it was palpable. And, <laughs> I mean, can you imagine their response? It doesn't say this, but somebody wet their pants that night. It was like, are you kidding? You know, that's why he said, hey, whoa, whoa, peace, peace be with you, you know? Because, and then he showed them his wounds and he, he showed them his side and he said, guys, it's me, I'm back, I'm alive. And it says they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And then it said, and again, he said, peace be with you as the father has sent me, so I am sending you. I'm sending you. In other words, you're not staying locked in. You've got to move forward. You're going out. You're going to face your fear. See, every time the risen Christ appeared to the disciples, read it in scripture. He always gave them an action step. He always told them something to do. And this one was, I'm sending you. It, we're going outside. And then that night, though, there's one disciple that wasn't there. Thomas. Thomas wasn't there. And let me tell you why Thomas wasn't there. He was the only one. Thomas wasn't there because he was done. I mean, he, he was done. He thought, you know what? I, I tried it. It didn't work for me. I'm glad it still works for you. It doesn't work for me. I'm just not there. He turned in his jersey. He wasn't on Team Jesus anymore. And Thomas, if you know anything about the, the disciples' names, uh, when we think of Thomas, what, what do we call him? Yeah, see, I... It's incredible to me how many people say that so quickly. Don't call him that when you see him in heaven, okay? Right? It's like, because we all call him Downing Thomas. Hey, Downing Thomas, what's up? It's like, no, can you imagine your weakest moment in all of your life that you are named for for all of eternity? I mean, that, that's where he was. And, you know, the Bible doesn't call him Downing Thomas. We call him Downing Thomas. And, you know, but here's the thing about doubt. Doubt destroys your faith. Doubt crushes faith. Doubt, doubt is the great enemy of God's dream for your life. It causes you to miss God's best. It, it limits God's activity in your life because doubt and faith cannot coexist. And scripture says in Hebrews that uh, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so let me take you to that moment where they're, the disciples are talking to Thomas in John 20, 24 says, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe 
I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. And that's not enough. I don't want to just see them. I want to put my fingers into them. I want to place my hand inside the wound on his side. That's a little graphic, don't you think? I'm like, really, Thomas? I mean, you've been watching too much Chicago Med. You know, it's like, everybody open them up. Let's take a look inside. That, that, why, why would you want to do that? I mean, he's all business. He said, I don't want to just see him. I've got to touch it. I've got to know it's real. Because I think this whole thing's a charade. I mean, he's, he needs proof. And the proof was coming. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time, Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. And in this moment, remember, all the other disciples have been there, and they're like, okay, he's back. Everybody else knew that Jesus was there, and all eyes turned to Thomas because they knew what Thomas was saying. And now Jesus is there. And you, this is the big takeaway. Listen. Jesus came back for one person. He came back for Thomas because he knew what Thomas needed. He came back, the doubter, the one who didn't believe, the one who wanted more proof. Jesus came back for the doubters. I mean, that, that, that's, he met him right where he was. And it, and it says, the scripture goes on to say, and then he said to Thomas, he went straight to Thomas. He didn't talk to anybody else. Thomas, go ahead. Put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Anyway, scripture doesn't say Thomas did any, didn't touch, didn't put his hands in, didn't. Thomas then made the boldest declaration that any disciple did after the resurrection. He just looked at Jesus and said, my Lord and my God, I know exactly who you are. And, and doubt walked away and faith rose up. And, and in, in, in seasons of all of our lives, though, we become Thomas, don't we? Yeah, we do. We do. We, it, it, those seasons where we're like, God, where are you? God, why is this happening to me? God, why would you let this happen? And doubt rolls in and it crushes faith. And I don't know where you are and I don't know if you, you've turned your back on God, maybe for years. You gotta know this, he's never turned his back on you and he will keep coming back for you, for one person, because you matter that much. And don't turn, it, it, don't turn your back. Don't be faithless anymore, just believe. And that's where Thomas was. And we all wrestle with fear and doubt, right? But I think the one that we struggle with the most at least one that I'm used to is failure. Because failure feels so final, right? When we fail, we feel like that's it. And, but failure is, is something that you do. It's not who you are. 
It was an action, it's not an identity. But yet Peter didn't understand that. And this is the third frame. It's like Peter felt like a failure because he denied Jesus three times. I mean, and Jesus told him he would. And he said, before the rooster crows, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And he did. And it all happened around a charcoal fire. There was serving girls and guards and, and Peter was there and they said, you were with Jesus. No, I wasn't. I don't even know him. And he denied Jesus three times. He, and he's like, you know what? I'm a failure. I couldn't even stay around and watch him die. Can you imagine how he felt? This is the, this is the only person that really believed in him. That, that, that this is the person that gave him a second chance, that chose him to be on his team. He felt like a complete failure. And yet that, that failure weighed heavy on him because here's the thing. He was with the disciples twice and he already saw Jesus alive, but he still felt like it doesn't matter for me. He'll never even talk to me again. I betrayed him. You ever felt that way? God, how could you ever use me again? You, you know, when we, when we fail, we feel like we're, you know what? We're relegated to plan B for the rest of our lives. When, when we fail, we, we feel unforgivable. Man. But Jesus comes back a third time, but he just comes back for Peter. And let me kind of take you to that moment in John 21, verse 1 to 3. says, later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. And just kind of put it in context for you. The Sea of Galilee, he, he appeared to him before in Jerusalem. Now he shows up at the Sea of Galilee. That's 70 miles away. That's like a two and a half hour bus ride. What, what I'm saying is that Jesus didn't just bump into them. He intentionally came looking for him. He went out of his way. And then it's like, and this is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. And they said, we'll come too. You know what Peter did? Peter was, it felt like a failure. And so Peter said, you did what we do when we feel like failures. I'm just going to go back to what I used to do. I'm just going to go, I'm, you know what? I, I risked, I tried, I stepped out in faith. It didn't work, man. That was a disaster. I, I'm just going to go back to what I know I can do. He, he was walking away. I mean, that, that's because he felt like I could never be more. It didn't work. But Jesus came back for him because even though he felt like a failure, Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you there. And that, and so he, he meets him and you know, and the, what's happening in the scene, you can read it, but they were out in the boat. They fished all night. They didn't catch anything. Jesus shows up on the beach. He's built a fire and he calls out to them and say, Hey, drop your net on the other side. And they're all like, Whoa, Whoa, we've been here before. We've heard this same beach, same lake, same fishing, same experience. This is when Jesus first called us to follow him. And, and John looked and said, it's the Lord. And Peter dove in 
dove into the water, swam to shore, couldn't wait, got to the beach. Jesus was cooking breakfast over a charcoal fire. And that and interesting thing is that the word charcoal fire is only used two times in scripture. Once when the charcoal fire where Peter denied Jesus three times. And now where Jesus is going to forgive and restore him. What Jesus is doing, Sea of Galilee, fishing, charcoal fire. Uh, he's recreating a memory. Not only that, he's reclaiming and restoring a memory. He said, you, this used to signify failure for you. Now it's going to signify forgiveness and a new start. And, and so in verse 15, it says, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know, I love you. And then he starts this dialogue. He asked him three times, do you love me? You know, I love you. Do you love me? And there, there's just a, a lot of depth into that conversation. But, but what he was trying to get him to understand three times, you deny me. Three times I've asked you if you love me. And then Jesus just tells him, now follow me. And Peter had to be going, follow you? I'm a failure. I betrayed you. You can't trust me. You're asking me to follow you again? You mean you're not mad at me? I mean, who, think about it. Who does something like that? That you, you got to know that's the heart of God. That's the heart of our heavenly father, that the risen Christ. He's the one who says, he's the one who goes 70 miles out of his way to find Peter, to build a fire on the beach, to make breakfast for a man who betrayed him, who can do nothing for him, but he wanted to bring him back from failure. I can just imagine him looking and going, Peter, I'm not mad at you, man. I'm going to use you to be the leader. I need you. We're going to go change the world. Can you imagine what rose up in Peter? God sees in you what you don't see in yourself. Failure does not define you. And you know, fear, it can't hold you. And your doubts can't crush God's dream for your life. You may see a failure, but God sees a future. And Jesus is alive and that changes everything today. Let me take you back to Banksy's piece of art. What happened? The owner of that piece of art took it as is and put it on display. And Banksy renamed it. It's no longer the girl in the balloon. He renamed it Love is in the Bin. Got a new name. She put it on display. She took it on tour. Thousands upon thousands of people came to take pictures of it and to see it. And in 2021, that piece of art shredded, sold for $25.4 million. 
Who pays $25 million for a shredded piece of art? God paid more than that for your shredded dreams. That's the heart of God. He said, you, you gotta believe, I love you. You are valuable to me. You matter. You're forgiven. You just, you gotta, how do you, how do you step into that relationship with Jesus? It's like, you gotta open the door. You gotta let him in, into your life. You gotta believe that he really is the risen son of God who died on the cross to pay for the sins of the world. And he rose from the dead to change your world today, to give you life. Yeah, we get heaven one day, that's a bonus. But he's got purpose for you. He's got a plan for you. And he's just saying, follow me. That's what we do. And for some of you, you've never stepped into that relationship. See, Christianity is not a religion. Don't get trapped in a religion. It's a relationship with the living God who loves you and died for you and rose from the dead so that you could walk with him. And you can begin that relationship today because that's the ultimate decision of Easter. And if you want to do that, Let's go to the Father in prayer. Because scripture says that if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation and the old has passed away and the new has come. And that begins in that relationship. When you, if you wanna start that relationship, you can pray this prayer, not out loud, but between you and God. He said, dear Father, thank you for never giving up on me. Thank you for pursuing me. Thank you that I matter to you. Thank you that you have plans for my life. And today, Jesus, I choose to follow you and I ask you to be the leader and the savior of my life. Teach me now how to live for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Church at the Springs podcast. If you were encouraged by this message, be sure to leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. If you're in the area, join us on Sundays. For times and locations, visit thesprings.net. And again, thank you for listening to the Church at the Springs podcast.